chapter 4 if you have your Bible with you. If you don't, we have a large Bible up here. Well, it will become a Bible in a moment when the Word gets on it. Revelation, the fourth chapter. We're going to read the whole thing. Verse 1, beginning. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne preceded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third had the face of a man, and the fourth was like an eagle. The four living creatures, having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and cast their crowns before his throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your word that is forever settled in heaven. And Father, I pray this morning as we host your presence by way of your word that you would speak to us and that your hand and your voice would thunder in this room. And God, I'm asking you today that by the time this service is over, I pray that our focus will have shifted in the right direction and we can answer the question whose throne is it anyways in Jesus name we pray and everybody said amen and amen you can be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning this morning I want to start a new focus with you for the next several weeks and this focus will be entitled enthroned enthroned and I believe several weeks ago the Holy Spirit spoke to me about the need to go back to the foundations of worship in this church. I'm not preaching to any other church this morning but this one. And I believe that we must have a refocusing of what worship is, who we worship, and why we worship. Amen? And I feel like sometimes we get into this place 
where we only worship when the environment is just right. Oh, it's going to be like that. We only worship when the environment is just right, but I can't tell you how many times in my life worship has saved my life. The environment didn't make sense. The, the mode didn't make sense. The mood of my life didn't make sense. But I chose to worship. And I'm going to show you in a minute why when you choose to worship, not based on extenuating circumstances, but based on what is eternal, how worship can change your life. I want to preach this first installment of this new series, and I'm going to call it this, Whose Throne Is It Anyways? Look at the person next to you and tell them, Whose Throne Is It Anyways? In my, in my parents' house, there is a seat. If you've ever been to my parents' house for an Ohio State party or any other reason where we sat down on their furniture... You will know that in my parents' house, my dad has his seat. And one of the things as his son that I love doing is pestering him. And if we're watching an Ohio State game, my dad is in his seat. And you know, of course, with an Ohio State game, there's always food. And so sometimes he will get up and he will go get another plate of food or he'll go use the restroom. And my immediate response, if I see it, is to go sit in his seat. Because I enjoy when he comes around the corner from whatever he was doing and he sees that his seat has been occupied, the look of total shock and disgust that comes upon his face. And he's, it depends on the mood of, we're just talking Ohio State game, right? It depends on the mood of the game that he will either look at you and say, what are you thinking? Or it'll simply be, okay, get up. Because that is his seat. There are only, my mom's not in here, so I can't ask her. Let me count. Seven little people who could sit in my dad's seat and not get ridiculed. And they are the grandbabies. Because he can just pick them up and put them on his lap. Now, you say, why are you starting with this? Because I believe, much like my father on earth has a seat, so does my Father in heaven. And I also believe that just like my Father on earth, my Father in heaven's seat has been occupied far too long by people who don't need to be on the throne. Whose throne is it anyways? Uh, 62 times in the New Testament, the word thronos or throne is used. 47 of those are used in Revelation. It would seem that John 
the revelator was attempting to get his point across to the churches of Asia Minor. At the time of writing the book of Revelation, Domitian sat on the earthly throne, which spelled persecution for the churches of Asia Minor as time would go on. And so, just like there was in Jesus' day when Pilate or Caesar Augustus would sit on the throne and there was worry and concern of how he would treat uh, Christians or how he would treat the people that followed Jesus. There was also concern of how this regime would treat the churches. And I love that John gives absolutely zero reference to what was happening on the earthly throne. He just decided instead of giving focus to the earthly throne, let me tell you about a throne that no man can occupy but him. He was telling them as long as God is on his throne, it does not matter who sits on the throne of the kingdoms of the earth. Thrones in the Bible, I wish I could have got this because it really would have been an adventure for you. In the Bible, thrones were six feet high. You had to go up steps to get on the throne. One of the key parts of thrones in the Bible was a footstool so that the king could rest his feet on such a high throne. Whoever sat on the throne exercised perfect authority and perfect power. Whatever the person on the throne said do, it got done. Whoever sat on the throne exercised the power given to them. So, uh, we're going to get to Revelation in a minute, but i got to set this up. So what happens in our corporate worship experiences is that instead of God being on the throne, we are on the throne. And we don't worship unless they sing our song. It'll get better in a minute. But we're dealing with the foundation and there's some cracks in the foundation of believers' theology when it comes to worship. Oh, it's going to be a long series, I can tell. <laughs> but we sit on the throne and unless the sound is just right, unless the songs are just right, unless the temperature is just right, we are not moved. I'm going to preach anyways. We're not moved. No matter how anointed the worship team is, no matter how anointed and how much the glory and the presence of the Lord comes in the room, we're not moved because we are on the throne and he is not. And whoever sits on the throne, it is their power and their authority that gets exercised. So it would make sense that we don't see people healed like we ought to. 
It would make sense that we don't see people delivered like we ought to because in the throne of a lot of churches is the spirit of man. It's man-made ideology, man-made theology, man-made opinions, man-made preferences. You can have a preference. You can have an opinion. You're allowed to like certain worship songs. But if you, if the words come out of your mouth, I just can't worship to that song. You don't understand worship. We've made it about a song and it has absolutely nothing to do with the song. Songs are simply the expression of our love to him, but they don't determine whether he's worthy or not. I got to get up. Songs don't determine whether he's worthy or not. His worth is determined not by my words, but by who he is. And for so long, God has been looking for churches and for people individually where he can come and he can occupy the throne of their life. But instead, he finds a bunch of curmudgeons. I'm going to get in trouble. Because we have created a throne out of our own desires. And God is not on the throne. Not because he got up, but because we are occupying where he ought to sit. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Not only... Not only just the opinions and the preferences, but can I tell you one of the ways that worship gets deterred in the lives of individuals is this little thing called feelings. I don't feel like worshiping today. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I've had a long week. Hey, everybody's weeks are long. We are, now, we are now living in a age where at the end of the week, living in an age at the end of the week, everybody's exhausted. They're exhausted in the middle of the week. They're exhausted before the week starts. And we come in and we let our feelings dictate how much we love him. We let our feelings dictate how much he's worthy of. You know worship has an expression. It had anywhere that you read of them worshiping, it had an expression. It was the lifting of hands. It was the singing of songs. It was dancing in the middle of the street. It has an expression. Not only do our feelings dictate our worship, oh my, but a lot of times our bondage dictates our worship. You see people run across this sanctuary. You see people come up here and say, oh, I can't believe they would do that. I cannot even believe that that's something they would do. And David, the king of Israel, went walking down the road in front of the presence of the Lord, and he said, I'll become. Michael's sitting, hey, Michael's sitting up on her throne. And she's looking down at David, and she's saying, what is this idiot doing? Let's make it present words. What is this idiot doing? He's the king, but he's dancing down the street three-quarter naked in front of the people he leads. Now, don't do that. We'll, we'll deal with you if you do that. <laughs> the principle here is that David 
went to Michael and, she, and he said, I will become even more undignified than this. You thought I've lost my dignity now. You just wait. And Michael just sat there. And, and, and David said, well, because you could not join in in the celebration of the true king of Israel coming back into the presence of the people, you will not have lot or pleasure in this matter. And there are sometimes, because we sit on the throne of our churches and we sit on the throne of our lives, you wonder why there's no breakthrough. You wonder why there's no healing. You wonder why there's no moving of the spirit in your life because whoever sits on the throne, it's their authority and their power and I've got nothing of myself I have no goodness in me at all and I don't need me on the throne what we need is the church to get up and say come on King Jesus then take your throne back from us we've occupied it too long there's no revival without him on the throne there is no glory without him on the throne there's no breakthrough without him on the throne get up get out of the way and worship him like your life depends on it Look at your neighbor and say, whose throne is it anyway? Because it sure is not mine. Okay. So John comes out of Revelation 1, 2, and 3. He has yet to see heaven. He has only seen the one heaven worships. And he said of him in Revelation 1, he's got eyes like fire, hair like wool, feet like brass, a voice that sounds like many waters. And his response, he said, I turned around and when I saw him, I fell. At his feet like dead. Fell at his feet like dead, and, 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 and Jesus begins to unload to him the message to the seven churches of Asia Minor and, and chapters two and three make that message up. And then we come to chapter four and John is about to go into another realm of the spirit. John is about to enter into another place in his time on Patmos. And the Bible said that he's looked in the heavens. And he said, I saw a door standing open in the heavens. And a voice said, come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. I stop here to tell you, Jesus is the door into the throne room of God. You don't come into his presence without Jesus being exalted. Do you want to know why somewhere in the middle of this worship set I felt something shift in the atmosphere when they begin to sing about Jesus, when they begin to lift up Jesus because Jesus got exalted and when Jesus gets exalted he opens up the door into the presence of the Lord. He opens up the door into the throne room of God. This word door that John used in the Greek, it means a double door. It means an extra wide door. One of the connotations and denotations of that word was that it is a door of opportunity. It is a door laid open as an opportunity to enter and to cross the threshold. The Bible said in John 10 and 7, Jesus is the door of the sheep. He is the door unto salvation and he is the door into the presence of the Lord. One of the other word usages of that word door is the word veil. Is the word veil. Do you know what happened Matthew 27, 51, the Bible said when Jesus said it is 
finished that the veil of the temple was ripped in two from the top to the bottom now let me let me describe something to you the veil that was written in two it was the veil that separated the people from the presence they they said of this veil that it was beautiful blue and purple so much so that Old Testament expositors and historians say that the veil literally looked like the expanse of the sky. And in the veil was embroidered cherubim, angels. Embroidered in the veil. And so, this is 2 Chronicles 3.14. And so, the scriptures state that God is enthroned... Between the cherubim. And, and so most Old Testament expositors believe that the holy of holies was a replica of heaven. You're not listening to me. It was a replication of heaven. So the veil literally separated heaven from earth. The veil separated the people from the presence. The veil was a very literal separation between heaven coming to earth. The only person allowed in behind the veil was the priest on the day of atonement one time a year. One time a year. But then when Jesus died, he got up on the cross and he gave up the ghost and he said, it is finished. That veil that separated heaven from earth, that veil that separated the presence of almighty God from the people of earth, that veil that was an exclusive veil that only certain people were allowed to come into upon Jesus' death, the Matthew said, it is finished. And the very next verse said, behold, and you are translated, you are transitioned from the hill of Golgotha to the temple mount where the veil of the temple is being ripped into. And now everything that was behind the veil is now accessible to those who are on the other side of the veil. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful for Jesus that he is the door into the presence of the Lord. And it is him that we worship. And it is him that we adore. And it is him that deserves our honor. It is him that deserves our praise. And I can't start this worship series off by talking about anybody else but him. And I know I'm taking a page right out of dad's book but I'm going to preach Jesus for a minute because how dare we talk about worship and not talk about the one who's worthy in the Bible in Genesis 3 the, the Genesis said that there will come a seed of a woman and he will crush the devil's head but he will bruise his heel in Exodus chapter 12 he is the Passover lamb in Psalm 61 and 2 the Bible said when my time of trouble lead me to the rock that is higher than I am in Isaiah 9 and 6 the Bible said that they would call him wonderful counselor mighty God the everlasting father and the prince of peace in Isaiah 11 10 he is a place of rest in Isaiah 28 16 he is a sure foundation in Isaiah 53 he's a suffering 
righteous servant that gave himself for you and for me. I'm talking about Jesus. It's Song of Solomon 2 and 1. The Bible said that he's the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. It's Song of Solomon 5.16. He is altogether lovely. In Hosea 2.15, he is the door of hope in the valley. I said he is the door. He is the door of hope in the valley of my trouble. In a back in chapter, or rather in Zechariah 13 and 1, the Bible said in that day there would be a fountain open for the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. In Malachi 4 and 2, the Bible said the son of righteousness would arise with healing in his wings to them that revered his name. And then you step into the New Testament and the Bible said in Matthew 2 and 6, he is the governor that would rule over God's people. In Mark 1 and 24, he is the Holy One of God. In Luke 169, he is the horn of my salvation. In Luke 178, he is the day spring from on high. In John 1 and 1, he's the word. In John 1 and 14, he's the word made flesh. In John 129, he is the only lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In John 141, he is the Messiah, which being interpreted is the Christ. In John chapter 2, he's turning water into wine. In John chapter 3, he is the Son of God sent for the sins of the world. In John chapter 635, he's the bread of life. In John 8 and 12, he is the light of the world. In John 8 and 58, he said before Abraham was, before you ever got in the situation you find yourself in, before Abraham was, he said, I am in John chapter 10 he is the door of the sheep who gives life and gives it more abundantly in John eleven thirty five, he's the resurrection and the life in John 14 6 he is the way he is the truth and he's the life in John 15 and 5 he is the living vine in Acts 3 and 15 he is the prince of life in Acts 10 36 he's the Lord of all in Ephesians 2 and 20 he's the head of the church in Ephesians 2 and 22 he is the chief cornerstone in Timothy he's the shepherd and the bishop of my soul in Titus he is our great God and Savior the Lord Jesus Christ in Revelation 1 and 8 he said I'm Alpha and Omega the beginning and the ending he which is and which was and which is to come the almighty in Revelation 5 and 5 he is the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David in Revelation 19 he is the Lord God Almighty and the King of Saints and on his vesture dipped in blood is written a name that nobody knows and on his thigh is written King of Kings and Lord of Lords in Revelation 22 he's our soon coming King he was Jacob's ladder he was Elijah's mantle he's the fire that fell on Carmel he's the healing balm of Gilead he's a stream in a desert he's a rock in a weary land he is a friend that's closer than a brother and he is King Jesus and there is nobody like him and it's his throne it'll always be his throne it'll never be anybody else's throne and he is worthy of our praise
It's Jesus from me. You can take this world, but give me Jesus. You can take my money, but give me Jesus. You can take this church, but give me Jesus. Jesus on the throne of this church. Jesus on the throne of my heart. Jesus on the throne in my house. to make some edits because now he is seen through the door stay with me for just a minute he is seen through the door and he now tells us what he sees in verse 2 I've seen through the one who made a way and I see one I see one sitting on the throne he doesn't look like anything I've ever seen before. See, up till this point in the scriptures, the Bible referred to God in what is called anthropomorphic terms. It is attributing human uh, attributes to God. And they've referred to him as this, but John, what he saw in Revelation 4, he said, I, I don't have anything in my vocabulary as it pertains to man that I can even begin to muster that would make you understand what he looks like. So instead, he said, he looks like Jasper and a sardius stone. Now, now you, can, you, can, you can study those stones as much as you want to study. But here's what I'm going to tell you. Those stones were in the breastplate of the high priest. And in the breastplate of the high priest were the 12 stones of Israel. And on each stone was written the name of the tribe. Jasper was the first stone. Hello. And Sardius was the last stone. So he said, I looked through the door and I beheld one who looked like the first and the last. I beheld one who looks like he stands at the beginning and he looks like he'll be standing at the end. There's a reason those other stones weren't involved because I see one who reminds me of the first stone in the breastplate of the high priest and the second stone in the breast and the last stone in the breastplate of the high priest. He's first and he's last. Ah, uh, then he said, around the throne, there was a rainbow which signified his covenant as an everlasting covenant to his people. And then he went on to say something, and this, this got me last night. And it was an appearance as an emerald. As an emerald. Now, you've got to study the Bible if you're going to know this. Because... Jasper and Sardia stones were stones of the tribes of Israel, but so was emerald. Emerald represented the tribe of Judah. And if you've been here any amount of time, you know that Judah means, oh come on, Judah means, so his throne is very literally surrounded 
and gives the appearance of the tribe of praise. The tribe of praise. Because the one who sits on the throne is worthy of praise. And not only is the tribe of Judah so represented, we're going to read here in a minute, that they surround his throne day and night with praise. The God is looking for a place on earth that looks like heaven. That he can find where he can come and set up his throne. And the throne of God will not be established if there is not praise in the people who are asking for his throne to come and sit. The Bible said in Psalm 22 that he is enthroned, he is holy, and he is enthroned upon the praises of his people. The Bible instructs us that we are to praise. In Psalm 18, the psalmist said, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my shield, my fortress, my high tower. In him will I trust. The Lord is my buckler and the horn of my salvation. I will call on the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised and so shall I be saved from my enemies in Psalm 30 and verse 1 the psalmist said I will praise you O Lord for you did not allow my enemies to rejoice over me is there anybody else in the room that can echo what the psalmist said that I will praise you because you didn't allow my enemies to have the last say over my life you did the last sickness and disease to have the last say over my life I will praise you and then he said this in verse 5 he said the weeping may endure for a night but joy cometh in the morning and he caps the whole psalm off by saying you you king Jesus father king who sits on the throne you have turned my morning into dancing is there anybody in the room who can testify that God took a season of darkness and he took a season of pain and he took a season of disaster and he turned hey he turned your morning into dancing when you should have been in a sick bed he turned it to dancing when you should have given up he turned it to dancing when you should have died he turned it to dancing he turned my morning Psalm 40, he said, I waited patiently on the Lord, and he heard my cry, and he picked me up out of the miry pit, out of the horrible clay, and he put my feet on a solid rock, and he put a what? He put a new song in my mouth, even a song of praise unto the Lord. In Psalm 100, the Bible said, make a joyful noise, all ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness, come into his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, and it is he that has made us, and not we ourselves, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name, for the Lord is good, and his mercy.
mercy endures forever. Psalm 150 said, praise the Lord. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him for the firmament of his power. Praise him on the stringed instruments. Praise him with the sultry and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with the loud cymbals. Praise him on the high sounding cymbals. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Lift your voice and do it now. And the throne of God will come and sit on the praises of his people. Oh, come on, lift your voice and give Jesus praise. That means his authority is established. That means his power is established. That means his abilities are established. There's a reason healings aren't happening at the rate they should. Because his throne is not present. And his throne only becomes present when the people praise him. Uh, Some of you heard that I was going to talk about worship and you thought I was going to be calm and cool and collected, but praise and worship are not as different as you think they are. Praise has nothing to do with fast or slow. Worship has nothing to do with fast or slow. You've got to unwind your bad theology. I've got to hurry. Uh, around the throne, there are 24 thrones, and on them are 24 elders. And from the throne proceed lightning and thunder and vo- could you do you hear what might happen in our corporate settings if the throne of heaven comes and makes its home right here in this room thunder and lightning and voices there's seven lamps, which are the seven spirits of God. Psalm 29, if you put precept on precept, line upon line, Psalm 29 said his voice is like thunder. His voice shakes the wilderness. So I believe what John was experiencing was he got in the throne room and God started speaking. And he couldn't discern that the thunder was the voice of God. Because when God opens his mouth and speaks according to his word, his voice sounds like thunder. The voice of Jesus sounds like the roaring of many waters. And if you've ever been by a rushing river, it kind of sounds like thunder. His voice was like the rushing of many waters. And then before the throne was a sea of glass. I need you to see the excellence of heaven in the throne room. In AD 90, 95 is where they believe Revelation was written. Glass 
the, the phrase clear as glass didn't exist. Because in that day, glass was dark and opaque. And in order to get glass that was clear as crystal, the cost was astronomical. In fact, the only person that you'll read having anything close was Solomon. And so John is standing. I don't know where he's standing, but he's in the throne room. And he said, before the throne, the only thing that I could liken this to is a sea of glass clear as crystal. A, a sea, not, not a strip, but a sea. The expense of heaven. The excellence of heaven. The majesty of heaven before the throne. And, and then he said, then, 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 in the middle of the throne. This is very interesting. In the midst of the throne. In the midst of the throne were four living creatures with eyes all over them. They each had six wings. And, and the Bible said, in, in verse 8, they do not rest day or night. And they sing every time around. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Their entire existence is wrapped up in holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know, I used to hear it say that every time around they see something new about him and it causes them to cry out. I don't know whether that's true or not. All I know is that every time around they see something that provokes a song in them that says holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who every day, they do not rest. Take the Bible at its word. While we are sitting here, you're listening to me preaching, I'm preaching in heaven. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. Tonight, you'll go to bed. Holy, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was it. You'll get up for work in the morning. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You'll go about your life for the next decade, for the next two decades, for the next century. And there will still be four living creatures around the throne singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, there needs to be a close examination of this song because here, this, this moment, because here the creatures are worshiping and then the bible says something about the elders and it uses this word whenever it was a very interesting read of the scripture for me when i started thinking about this because these elders have 24 thrones but whenever the creatures sing holy they fall down at the throne and lay their crowns and i got to thinking how often were the creatures singing holy? They don't rest 
day or night. So the elders have these thrones. But because the creatures keep sending forth praise, the elders can't even sit down on the thrones that were given to them because the majesty and the magnificence of the one that John saw on the throne. And so they lay their crowns at the throne. And so now what John was seeing was that there's only, there might be 24 thrones there, but there's only one man sitting on a throne. And he looks like Jasper and Sardius. And there's a rainbow surrounding him. And his, his appearance is like an emerald. They don't stop. Now we examine the song. I'm, I'm hurrying. I'm, I'm, believe me, I'm editing. You hear the song of praise. Here's the song. They start like this, holy. This word denotes separation. In other words, what they were saying was separate. 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 Different. Another. Separated. When the Israelites came out of Egypt, the first command that God gave them was be holy as I the Lord your God am holy. He was not explicitly telling them to keep the law to perfection. He was saying be separate as I the Lord your God am separate. They had had 400 years of entrenched theology and culture telling them that there are many gods, that there are many ways to worship God. And the first thing God had to do upon entering into a new season was he had to shift their mindset on worship. He had to create a new mindset in them of worship that made them understand I am not like all these other gods that you used to worship. They're not even on the same plane as me. They're not even on the same level as me. So I need you to understand you've got to be separate because I am separate. There's a war that's happening in heaven right now. And Daniel records it that Satan and the archangel Michael are in a battle for glory. And Satan is on one side and he is declaring, I will be like the most high. I will be like the most high. But the archangel Michael's on the other side saying, who is like him? Who is like God is? Who is like God is? And I'm telling you that there is a spirit that has risen up in the earth that is declaring, I will be like God. I will be God. God, God of my own life, God of my own plans, God of my own desires. But in heaven, they're asking the question of earth, who is like God? Who is there among the people that can stand next to him? There is no one else. So they say, holy is the Lord God almighty. The word almighty means all-powerful or in control. I, I need to help somebody in the room right now. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. So we all know the high and lifted up part. But we missed the seated on a throne. And he was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Now let me bring a little bit of exegesis in the room right now. If you study 
Old Testament kinghood, what you would recognize is that the longer the train of a king, the more he was revered and respected. Why? The more authority he had. Why? Because when a king would conquer another king, they would take the other king's robe and cut a large piece off of that robe and sew it into the conquering king's robe. Some of y'all get it here in a minute. So that wherever the king went, wherever that king went, it was no question how many kings he has conquered. It was no question how many battles he has won. And Isaiah said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. He was high and lifted up. And the train of his robe, it didn't just enter the temple. It didn't just sit in the temple. No, 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 no. The train of his robe filled the temple from the right to the left, from the front to the back, from the floor to the ceiling. The train of Rosh And he didn't even have to stand up. He was just sitting on his throne. And the train of his robe was so long off the throne that it filled the temple. And what are you, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying when you worship and his throne comes in the room the train of his robe follows his throne and you start looking at all the victories that he's won you start looking at all the kings he's conquered you start looking at all the victories he's won and you realize there is no king like king jesus there is no king that can conquer like him there is no king that can war like him there is no king that deserves power and glory and honor like he does. And the train of his robe filled the temple. You want to know what else that tells me? What else that tells me is because his train filled the temple, there was no room for anything else. There was no room for focus on anything else but the victories that he has won. There was no other. I couldn't focus on my oppression. I couldn't focus on my life. I couldn't focus on how, how horrible and how hard my life has been. Because when I came into the temple, when I came into his presence, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And I came in depressed, but I remembered he gives joy that cometh in the morning. I came in with no peace, but I remembered he gives peace that passes understanding. I came in with sickness, but then I saw that piece of his train that reminded me that by his stripes I've been made whole. I saw the piece of his train that reminded me that he heals all of their diseases. I saw the piece of his train that reminded me that he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on a throne, and his train 
fill the temple. Hey, and if he's got enough train to fill a temple, why don't you think about what it would be like if his train filled your house? Why don't you think about what it would be like if his train filled your car on the way to work tomorrow when you didn't know how you were going to make it one more day, when you didn't know how you were going to survive? What if the train of his robe filled your bedroom when you didn't know if your marriage was going to survive, when you didn't know how you were going to come out of this, but all of a sudden you started praising and his throne came in, and because his throne came in, his train came in, and because his train came in, every victory that he's ever won came in. I want the train in this church. I want the train in my house. I want the train in my heart. I want the train in my children. I want the train on my job. Give me the train that comes from the throne. Stand up all over the room. He is enthroned on the praises of his people and where his throne is his train is and where his train is his power is come on somebody ah uh, and then they said this my God I feel the Holy Ghost and they said this was past and is present and is to come what I'm telling you is this God had to create eternity because time could not contain him he was before time he is in time and when Kronos goes away he'll continue to be last thing they said and we're going to worship for a minute so what we're going to do at the end of every message in this series we're going to practice what we preach you the elders and the creatures then join their song in a glorious choir you are worthy oh lord after everything i've just seen in the heavens sea of glass, the rainbow around the throne, the emerald, the thunders, the lightnings. You are worthy, O oh Lord, to receive glory and honor and power and praise. His, his worth, his worth is not determined by our song. Because he exists, he's worthy. For as long as I live, he's worthy. Church, in our corporate worship experiences, it's time to get up off the throne. It's time to get up off the throne. Because man on the throne has got the church in the position it's in now. But I promise you the second that his throne gets established in this room and that train fills this temple, everything changes, everything shifts. And, and Isaiah continued to see, and the Bible said, I saw two cherubim. And what were they doing? 
They were volleying back and forth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now, I've preached, preached exactly how I felt today. And now it's time to put worship in the atmosphere. I'm believing over the next weeks, I don't know how long we're going to be here until God gets what he wants. But over the next weeks, I'm believing that the throne of God gets built somewhere right out in here. In the middle of it all. And his train starts filling the temple. Here's what I want to do. You can come up here if you want. We're just going to spend about 10 minutes. 